0: Uh, thank you for the warm and generous welcome. I hope you don't regret that. Um, <laughs> I'm sure you won't. I'm really, really excited to be able to preach today because I've been given what I think is actually one of my favorite stories growing up in the Bible. Um, and I'm, I'm just excited that I got given that, that story. But before, before we jump in and have a look at the story and, and jump into the text and see what God wants to say, I just want to remind those who are Christians here particularly, but this is applicable for non-Christians as well that this is the word of God that I'm preaching, okay? This is the word of God. And and do you know, the Bible says that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Okay, the word of God that I'm, these aren't just fancy words I put together. I'm I'm preaching the word of God. So I want to encourage us, um, just from the start, to be expectant, because God's word is alive, it is powerful, it is active. And I believe that, you can't go away from here uh, not being changed and transformed because God's word is alive. So it's going to pierce your hearts today, hopefully. Whether or not you're a Christian, um, I believe that God wants to say something to everyone here today. Okay? In fact, what I'm talking about today is, is, is central to, to, to everyone's life. It is one of the, the core things. I don't actually have a nice, uh, a nice snazzy title. I, 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 like to have a, I like to be a preacher who has a nice title. I don't have one. In fact, after the preach, if you can think of a nice title, then by all means, inbox me, hashtag me, whatever you want. I don't have a title because essentially we're just talking about worship today. Okay? Today's, today's talk is about worship. We're going to use Daniel 3, which is what we're looking at, um, to, to preach around this topic of worship. But when I say worship, I don't mean the songs we sang earlier on. As great as they were, I don't mean what CDs you listen to. I don't mean whether you're going to David's tent this summer or not. Worship's much bigger than just singing, okay? Worship is, is the core overflow and outworking of your heart. Whether you're a Christian or whether you're not a Christian, your life is centered around worship. It is. Everything that you do revolves around worship. It is the central outworking of our life. What we, what we do, how we do it, why we do it, all of that is incorporated into, into worship. If you're a Christian in here, worship is where you've got God at the heart and God above all of your decisions, your drivers, your motives, the whole shebang. But there's lots of other things that, 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 that draw our attention and that captivate us and that we, that we sometimes turn to, to to follow and to look after. And the Bible still calls that worship, but it calls that kind of worship idolatry. Now, there's a guy called Tim Keller, who's a a church leader in America and a famous Christian author, and he says this, and I want to read this just in terms of introducing the, the, the topic that we're talking about. Essentially, we're talking about worship and idolatry. This is a really helpful quote just to set the scene and context of what idolatry is, which we're going to dig into a little bit deeper. He says, Idolatry is anything more fundamental than God to your happiness, your meaning in life or your identity it's more fundamental than god for your sense of self-worth significance and value or for your sense of security an idol is anything that you love more than god or you rest your heart in more than god so idolatry can be it can be your career it can be your family children spouse your achievements it can be political causes physical attractiveness romance approval, power, comfort, financial security, um, the list goes on and on. There's so many things that we can turn to for that sense of fulfillment and and identity and self-worth. But the Bible calls them idolatry if Jesus isn't above them and overarching them. So we're going to look at Daniel today and unpack this theme of worship and idolatry. But for those of you who might be new to Rev, um, maybe this is your first time or you haven't been around for the last couple of weeks, I'll just set the scene quickly um, about the book of Daniel, which is uh, what we're looking at. Our, our series at the moment, as you can see, is called Life in Babylon. Um, but to understand really what that means, you've got to track back about 400 years, okay? Because 400 years before the events of Daniel took, take, took place, um, there was a king called King David, who you may well have heard of. Um, so there was one man. And he led one nation, Israel was together, and they lived in the promised land, and they served one God. But after David died, a couple of generations after, things weren't looking as good as they were when David was on the throne. The the kingdom was divided, there was ten tribes in the north, they made Israel, there were two tribes in the south, they made Judah. And the thing is that both Israel and Judah followed a similar pattern, where king after king after king... Basically, they were turning their back on God and what King David um, had heard from God in terms of how God wants us to worship and live our lives. And they turned their back and they set up idols and they set up all these things which, which really hurt and broke God's heart. And actually what happened was that it kind of kindled God's righteous anger in his judgment. And, and he allowed, he allowed a, um, Israel, who had 20 kings in a row who were all evil and they're all bad and they all turned their back on God. And that really upset God, and He allowed them to be taken over by Assyria, who were the kind of one of the superpowers of the day at that time. But Judah lasted a little bit longer. Now they lasted a bit longer because they had a few kings along the way who were who were good. They actually looked to God and they wanted to, to live out their kingship following the the Book of the Law, which is what Moses put together, um, telling the Israelites how to live. Um, but really, they were on the same course to self-destruction. Um, Though they had a few good kings, like there's a king called Josiah who we'll look at a little bit later on, um, who was good. But they, they lasted about 150 years longer than Israel. But the the same uh, consequence happened to them, really, because they kept turning their back on God. God allowed them to be taken over by the new superpower of the day, Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar, he was the king of Babylon. And he he kind of dethroned and overtook Jerusalem um, and Judah and the tribes that were living in Judah, and there was a little group of them who were exiled. They were brought into the kingdom where King Nebuchadnezzar was ruling and reigning, which was Babylon. So our series is using the analogy that as Christians, we are living life in Babylon. Our Babylon is London all around us. We're like exiles. We are in the world, but not of the world. We're Christians. We're called to be different to those around us, and we're we're using that as an analogy of, of the outworking of our life. Now, how we're going to do this is that we're going to read the text um, of Daniel 3. So if you want to turn to your Bibles, turn to Daniel 3. We're going to to do this in three chunks today. The first chunk is just going to be verses 1 to 12. Um, And, Huli, if you want to put the words up, I'm going to read it, and then we're going to pull out some points, and we're going to see what God wants to speak to us today. So... King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth was six cubits. He, made, he set it up on the plain of Jura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates and all the officials of the province to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then, the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counsellors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the province gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And Herald proclaimed aloud, You, O people, are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, That when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe and every kind of music that you bear to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore... As soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever! You, O king, have made a decree! that every man who hears the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image, and whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews who you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So that, we're going to stop there. And that that sort of sets the context, really, for the rest of the story. We'll read on to see what happens in in a few minutes. But there's a few things I want to to pull out here and just, just explain around this whole theme of worship and idolatry, which I was talking about earlier on. So, in verse 12, which I can see is behind me already, which is great. Thanks, Tuli, um, We're introduced to some of the main characters of the story. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, these were friends of Daniel, and they were part of the Israelites who'd been um, brought into exile, into living in Babylon. We'd just seen them at, last week, for those of you who are around. Uh, chapter 2 ended with, with them being promoted as kind of officials over the province of, of Babylon. And we don't know too much about them at the moment, um, but this story is going to tell us a lot more about them, and we're going to learn some things about how we can live our lives in in London in light of how they lived their lives. Um, but there's three things I want to just pull out, okay? Because verse 12 tells us that they paid no attention to the king, they didn't serve his gods, and they don't worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So I want to use those three things attention, service, and worship, um, just to help us to unpack this whole topic of, of worship and idolatry, to see what kind of things are in, in our city, uh, to see what kind of things are in our, our Babylon, if you like, um, that we maybe are guilty of bearing the need to, um, just to, just to explore this topic to help us see that there may well be gods that, that as Christians, we're not called to, to be consumed by, though we're called to somehow live alongside. So, I'll start off with um, with this whole thing of attention. Um, Now, my wife thinks this is hilarious. I'm about to say what I'm about to say because I am I'm guilty of this one. Okay, there. I mean, there's so many things that I could have pulled out on this topic of things that take our attention, but I want to just choose two. Okay, the first thing. Now, stick with me. Mobile phones. Okay. Now, mobile phones. Now, can we turn this one off? Sorry, Tuli. One second. Don't want to ruin the surprise. <laughs> um, mo- mobile phones, okay? Now, don't hear what I'm not saying, okay? I'm not saying mobile phones are inherently wrong. They're not. In fact, mobile phones can be used for really good causes. And I, I-, I go to work every day on the tube, and I use my mobile phone to read the Bible. I do emails on it. There's lots of good things you can do on the, on the phone. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But... Certainly, I look around and I see how people are consumed with their mobile phone, and it certainly does take a lot of attention. Um, My colleagues, myself included, I I, I often just find myself naturally flicking to the next thing on my phone, just going through apps, so what should I do? I'll turn my phone on and I'll just flick around and see whatever. You know, mobilephoneinsurance.com recently did a, a study on people's phone habits, right? And they said that the average person they found spends... 90 minutes a day on just, just on screen time on their phone, right? Now, stick with me, because you'll see where this is going in a minute. But 90 minutes may not sound like a lot, but that does calculate to 23 days a year, or 3.9 years of a person's average, average length of life, Okay, which is almost four years of your life will just be screen time. That is a lot of attention. Now, again, it's not necessarily bad, but I just want to expose it as a potential thing that could trip us up or make us have that sense of satisfaction, that sense of identity. You know, that quote I read out from Tim Keller, I wonder if phones could do that. But it's not just phones. It's what do we look at on phones? Okay, so let's just take social media. Cue the slide, Tooley. Thank you. Very smooth. Um, So Facebook, Twitter, Instagram... Okay, there's some statistics here which are just interesting stats, okay? Um, so Facebook has 1.6 billion active users per month. That's a lot, right? 300 million photos per day, 4.5 billion likes. 4.5 billion likes of photos per day. That's crazy. But how many of us are, are guilty of, of being there, scrolling through, liking everything, just wasting loads and loads of time? You see, we, what you value, you give your time to. It's the truth. What you value, you give your time to. So if you're just spending hours, if the first thing you have to look at when you wake up is Facebook, if the first voice that you have to hear is, is something on Facebook, or how many likes you've had on that photo, or what did someone think about that status, or what about that comment, what's the th- I'll just leave it at that. But we've got Instagram and Twitter. I won't go through all of the stats. You can, you can read them for yourself. I'm just making the point that there's lots of things in this city that take our attention, but we are called to be different. Now, that doesn't mean get rid of your phones. Okay, it, you've got to go away and work it out before the Lord, what is appropriate and what isn't appropriate. Look at your heart, because God's interested in the heart at the end of the day. Okay, it's a heart issue. It's not about having to do, live a certain way. So let's move on to service. So it says that um, they didn't serve Nebuchadnezzar's gods. Okay, so what are some of the things that we serve? What are what, what are some of the drivers in our life? Now, I think that the best way to answer this is, ask the question, what drives you and what motivates you? It could be your career. It could be the next promotion or that pay rise. It could just be the rat race of London life. We somehow become slaved to this cycle of having to achieve, having to go through the motions, being caught up in this whirlwind of busy activity. I see it in my colleagues at work. They're the most overly ambitious people in the world and, and they, they live and die for their work. They, they get there at six in, in the morning. They won't leave till eight in the evening. They don't have lunch breaks or anything. And I'm not saying that there's not busy seasons. I'm not saying that work is is wrong. okay. But again, I'm just throwing it out there. What you spend your time doing what is your availability like? These are kind of the questions to ask if there's certain things that we serve which maybe are being God's because actually God's called us again to be different and we'll look at how that response will be in a minute. The last thing I want to quickly pick up on is worship, okay? So this is interesting. You may have realised that the text I read out was actually quite repetitive. There was lots of things... Being said over and over again. Now, Aramaic texts are often like that. They're very kind of poetic and they like to repeat things. But but sometimes when the Bible repeats things, I think there's things that we can learn. Yes? Yeah? So you know Ephesians 1, um, it's a book in the New Testament. In, in the first chapter, about ten times it has a recurring phrase that says, We are in him, or we are in Christ. Now the author says that for a reason, because he wants to make hammer home the the, the fact that we are in Christ. Okay, now. I think in a similar way, there's something that we can pick out here because six times, in the first seven verses, it says the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. I wonder what images we set up of ourselves that we want other people to worship. I wonder what what pictures we put up of ourselves, not not even on social media now. I mean, in life in general. What? So it could be it could be your career or your um, uh, physical, social, cultural, political projections, your achievements, education, your accomplishments, your, um, whether you've got friends in high high places. What, what things do we want people to look to us to? Because actually, the, the gods in this city are not just, not just gods that, that, that other people set up, but I think sometimes, I know myself, I'm guilty of setting up myself. I, I over-glorify myself. I like, to, I like to over-exaggerate and make myself look better at times. I'm just being honest. I do. But this is all part of the, the London and the Babylon that we live in. But it's not all, it's not all doom and gloom, okay? So we, we may be surrounded by all these things that take our attention, our service, and our worship. But it really isn't doom and gloom. We'll read on in a moment um, and, and see what God, God's got to say to us. But um, I just want to say that, that Jesus wasn't exempt from this either, okay? Jesus wasn't exempt from the pull of different things to take his his... Uh, his attention but we know that Jesus was faithful and he didn't compromise and he lived a sacrificial life of worship so much so that he actually was obedient to death and he didn't compromise and he set his face like flint to the mission that he was set forward for but there was a time when Jesus was had an encounter with the devil it was soon after his public well just around the time of his public ministry he, he spent 30 days and 30 nights fasting and just at the end of it, just when just when you think, oh great, he's almost he's almost managed that duration, that um, the devil comes along, and what does the devil do? He tries to tries to tempt Jesus and pull him away from from his mission and trip him up, if you like. And how does he do that? It's interesting. He says he says that. Reading out, it says, Again, the devil took him to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, All these things, this is the devil, all these things I give to you if you fall down and worship me. So the devil was trying to tempt Jesus by getting his worship. Even, even Jesus was consumed by, uh, by these, these occasions where someone was trying to pull him um, to worship. But you see, I mean, the devil promised Jesus the, the nations but they weren't his to promise. They were Jesus's inheritance is the nation's and, um, and Jesus knew how to stand his ground. And the good thing is that Jesus is, was victorious in that moment. He, he quoted scripture. He says, you shall not follow the Lord your God. Um, you shall worship only the Lord your God and him only will you serve. He knew who he was and he was able to combat that. And actually Jesus's victory is our victory. Amen. Okay, we can... We can say, no, those things that you find hard, that you're pulled towards, that, that, are, that maybe we know we, 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 we put in our heart to find a, a, some sort of pleasure, which is other than Jesus. Well, actually, Jesus gives us a victory to be able to stand strong and receive him, which is a much bigger and better satisfaction. And we'll see this in a moment through reading the rest of the story. So we're going to now read from verses 13 to 27. So the story goes on. It says Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down. And worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace." And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. He ordered the furnace to be heated seven times more than it usually was heated. And he ordered some of his mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego And to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments. And they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace was overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the most high God, Come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had no power over their bodies of those men. The hairs on their head were not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Wow. That is, I think, an epic story. That's probably the best use of the word, epic that is, I mean, it's amazing, and I just want to say before I before I pull out some points. Right, this actually happened. Okay, sometimes we can read these stories and think, oh, it's a nice kid's story, or or almost have this kind of Hollywood, kind of DC Marvel kind of uh, mentality around some of these Bible stories. It actually happened. There was a time in our history when this happened. World history saw three men rescued from a fire. The fire did not harm them. God sent a heavenly an angel to save these people from the fire. And the result was that the king, the most powerful man in the world at that time, looked on and we 'll see what happens in a minute, but was amazed by that situation. Okay? It actually happened. I just want to stir us. God is able to do far more immeasurably than we can ask or imagine okay he is, he is able to get us he 's able to get us out of any situation whatever, whatever, whatever is happening whatever you 're going through it 's not hard enough for God to find a rescue mission, surely. Three people before the superpower of the world being put in a fire, you'd think it's doom and gloom, right? you think their day is over. You've had it. No, no chance. But there's a, such a surprise twist in this story. It actually happened. God can do whatever you're going through. God, God can break into that situation, and he, he will be with you if nothing else. But I want to ask the question, why and how were they able to act in such a brave way? Because I think if it was Shadrach, Meshach, and Matt Fox... Um, probably wouldn't have worked out quite like that. I think um, I would have been, yeah, it would have been a different outcome. I'm just throwing it out there. Um, but not these guys. Why and how were they able to act in a, such a brave way? Well, the first thing is um, that they set themselves apart. Okay, they made a conscious decision to set themselves apart, to go against the grain. Now I think part of the reason that they were able to do this is because they were they were they were brought up by parents. I genuinely believe they would have been brought up by parents who would have raised them in the ways of the world, in of the Lord. Now the reason I, I know this was probably the most accurate presumption is that 42 years before Nebuchadnezzar conquered um, and brought you know conquered Judah, there was a king that came to the throne. And his name was Desire. He was just a boy when he came to the, to, the, to the kingship. But it says that he set his heart after the Lord. And halfway through his reign, he discovered the book of the law, which is where, um, where Moses and all the things that happened, um, where Moses was up on the mountain and God kind of told the Israelites how he wanted them to live and how he wanted them to worship them. He discovered that and he basically, he set up, he, he kind of reset Israel up in accordance to how God wanted them. And actually, theologians and, and, um, and the commentaries think that this would have been one of the biggest kind of revivals in Israel's history, if you like. It was certainly an exciting time to have been living in the reign of King Josiah. He was one of the best kings that Israel ever had. And some theologians um, think that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego might even have been born. During King Josiah's time, there's only, um, he, he was king for 31 years. So just 11 years before Nebuchadnezzar conquered, Josiah was still in power. If they weren't born under his reign, their parents certainly would have been or would have been around during his reign. And they would have raised him in the ways of the Lord. Now, this is almost a side point, but for parents in here... I just want to encourage you to raise... Let's be raising our children in the ways of the Lord because we don't know what they're going to face in 20, 30 years' time. I don't think their parents would have necessarily known that their children would be in front of the superpower of the world. Um, and, and, and how did they respond? Well, I think they would have been familiar with the words in Exodus where it says, You shall not have any other gods except me. You shall not bow down and serve any other god. I think they would have known that and they would have lived with that. I think the word of God was the thing that they, they knew and they lived out of. You see, I think, actually, it says they weren't necessarily 100% confident that God would, would, would rescue them. But they were obedient nonetheless. And God did rescue them. And that is incredible. And that is God's grace. But they were standing firm on what God had said. See, the truth is, even, even today, all around the world, there are, there are people who are in these kind of situations. We think that this, is, this story just happened thousands of years ago and this kind of thing doesn't happen today. Well, actually, it does happen today. There are Christians who are being burned alive because of their faith and they're not being rescued like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were. But God, was with, God is with them because he promises never to leave us or forsake us. He promises to be with us in our, in our, in our darkest hours. They set themselves apart. They were about something different. Are we not about something different? We are are about something very different as Christians. We're called to be salt and light. We're called to be different, make different choices. We're called to be noticeably different amongst the world around us. These guys set themselves apart based on the word. You know, actually, that's fine. I've, I've... In the interest of time, I'm going to move on because I think I've I've milked that part enough. Not only did they set themselves apart, but God set them apart. Okay, so my second point on this is that, that God set them apart. So here we see that he answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like the Son of God. Now, this to me sounds a little bit like the gospel story. You see, there was a, a time when Jesus was sent and Jesus was set apart to come into the world to rescue us. And actually, he came into the world to rescue us from something which is far greater than any physical fire. It was an eternity without God. It was an eternity which would have been a lot, a lot darker and a lot more uh, tormenting um, than a physical fire. And Jesus was faithful. He was faithful to the very end and he was able to rescue us and create a way for us just as he set them apart. This is almost like a little, um, it's like a foreshadow of what Jesus was going to do because Jesus set us apart. But you know, God will be with us. He will be with us even if we had to go through these physical, these physical things like these guys like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego did. God promises that he will be with us. Not only, not only has Jesus rescued us Okay, for, for an eternity with him. He's rescued us from our sins. Our biggest problem wasn't a physical fire we were in. It was, it was the mess that we were in before God, the, the sin that covered us and stopped us from knowing God. God rescued us from that. But no matter what we go through, God will, God will still be with us. Okay? He continues to rescue us ultimately for, our, for eternity, but he also promises that he won't leave us or forsake us now. Whatever you go through in life, If you're a Christian and Jesus is in your heart, he is with you. And we have an eternity with him. Okay. Very quickly, I just want to read the last couple of verses now because there's still something that we can learn about how God wants us to live. So it says, verse 28 if you're following, it says, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any God except their own. Therefore, I make a decree that any nation or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego shall be torn from limb to limb and their house laid in ruins. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way Then Nebuchadnezzar promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. And this is just a beautiful, surprising end, isn't it? It kind of goes from a a decree where everyone has to worship this golden image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, which was most likely actually just an image of him, and if you don't do it, then you'll be burned. And then all of a sudden, he's changing his decree to recognize and honor that there is, there is actually a God who, is, who can do what, what no one can imagine. And it's pretty amazing. But you know, God's heart is that there is people from every tribe and tongue, race and class, profession, appearance, family, trade, political background... To worship him, just as Nebuchadnezzar looked on and saw from their life that, that God was real. He wants the nations to look in to us and see our life as different, to see our life as separate. You see, there's a sacrificial worship that had evangelistic ramifications here. These guys basically were willing to die, which in, in itself... I think speaks volumes, doesn't it? They were willing to die for the cause they believed in great, but actually then God rescued them, and, and Nebuchadnezzar looked on and saw what God had done. I wonder what ramifications will happen from our life if we sacrificially lay it down, just like Jesus sacrificially laid down his life, if we follow in that same vein. What decisions, I mean, you know, at work, with your family, with your, with your colleagues? I wonder what we can do that stands out because of our worship choice, where Babylon, the London around us, will look on and and see by that decision that we're different, that we're separate, that we're not just following the same ways of the world and all the things that the world gets caught up in, but actually we're putting our hope in something else. And I wonder what will happen if the world looks on and sees our, our way of living is different. It will speak volumes. And who knows, I mean, I don't doubt that some of you in here will be before powerful people like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego will be. I don't want to urge you, if that's you, really live a life of worship, live a life laying down and making decisions that speak volumes, yeah? I'll say that again, that your sacrificial worship will have evangelistic ramifications. It will, and it brings glory to God. It's a win-win. It is a win-win. We're called to be sultan light. But, you know, it's not just the praise that is set above here. The very last verse tells us that actually people were set above as well. So I don't know if you noticed, but in the last verse, it says that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego um, were promoted in the province. Now, this is how the chapter before ended. Okay, the chapter before ended with them being promoted. Then suddenly they're down in the depths of potential destruction Okay, and then suddenly they're promoted again. I mean, talk about a rocky career history, right? Up and down, all over the place. But they were, they were promoted, they were elevated. Okay, now that, it's not a formula, okay? It's not a formula. So I'm not saying live a sacrificial life of worship and God will promote you um, in your jobs, in what you do. Okay, he may do. He may well do. And God loves that. And God loves to bring, put Christians in power and influence. Absolutely. But it's not a formula, Position and status isn't something that, that, that God is particularly uh, in need of or h- hungry for in our, in our worlds. He's much more interested in our heart. He's much more interested in our heart. And you know what? Jesus has got the highest promotion anyway. Okay, Jesus, is, Jesus has already been promoted. So whether or not we are like these guys and we then get promoted because of our choices, doesn't matter. Jesus is promoted and he has a name above every name. At uh, his name, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ, that he is Lord. He has been risen to the highest place. He has ascended. Okay, He lived, he died, and he's now reigning over everything. And that is our boast. That is our testimony. That should be the thing that strives us forward in our life. Not our own, our own power, our own destiny, our own careers and rise to fame or whatever it might be in London where I see my colleagues are very hungry to be elevated. But actually, Jesus has been elevated to the highest place to the highest place, and that should be the thing that kicks us forward. What is interesting is that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were rescued and elevated in the physical sense. We've been rescued, and we have actually been promoted in the spiritual sense. Okay, So I'm going to end just with this. In Ephesians 1, verse 3, it says... There we go. Um, it says, "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places." You see, just as Jesus had has risen and and been ascended to the high highest place, we are told that we are seated with Him in the highest place already. Okay, we have actually been promoted with Jesus, and our, our status, our position, is above this city. Okay, we, are, we are, in a sense, as Christians, we're, we're, we, we, are, we have a perspective from a different realm. Because okay, we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. That is our inheritance. That is our, 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 our destiny. But that is where now we are seated with him. So our worship in London is different from the worship of the city. The city worships things and gets caught up in things which are created, which are on this earth, from this earth. As Christians, we're caught up in something above this earth from a position above this earth. And that's our destiny. And that's why I want to just almost charge us with and, and, and call us into again to remember uh, our status, remember our destiny, remember who we are, and to really live a life of sacrificial worship. As I was putting this together, I, I just really felt that, that God wants to challenge us around the whole thing of our, our sacrificial worship. Jesus was faithful to the very end. And his life, was, he was a living sacrifice. His life was, was worship. And, and out of that, Jesus wants us to lay our lives down again and, and, and live a life of worship, which is different. Our life in Babylon shouldn't be worship of the city. It should be worship of the God who is above this city. Amen? Amen. Um, I'm going to pray. So if it's all right, do you want to maybe stand to your feet and then I'm going to hand over to the band and we're going to sing some more songs and we're going to worship Jesus and uh, we're going to see where where he takes us. Um, we've got 10, 10, 15 minutes left. So I'm just going to pray. Thank you, Father, for your word, for your living, active word. Thank you for this story, this example of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who lived such a different and surprising life because they set their heart on your word, on your way, because they knew who they were in you. They knew they were about something else. And I, I just pray, Jesus, that you would help us to be caught up about, um, in, a, in a life that is of something other than what the city is all about. Lord, that we wouldn't be caught up in, in, in worshipping idols, in, in our attention wouldn't be caught up on all the things that the world has to offer. Lord, that our service wouldn't be all, all about the things of the world. Um, Lord, that we wouldn't be caught up in trying to elevate ourselves uh, with people worshipping us and lifting ourselves higher. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see you, the risen King Jesus, in your highest place. And I pray that would be the thing that captivates us. I pray that you would captivate us, Jesus, time and time again. Because you are truly above it all. And our worship is from a different place. And I thank you for your power, Lord Jesus. And I just pray, Lord, that you would let us go out of here change, Lord. And I I pray particularly those who may be in here who who don't know you, Jesus. Who who aren't Christians. I pray that you would would speak to them. Even through the words that I've presented. Jesus, would you have your way in this place. Lord, we just lay, lay our lives down once again in sacrificial worship. We turn to you, we, we lay our lives in a, uh, at your feet, Jesus. The most appropriate response is to lay our lives down and worship you. All God's people said, Amen.